0: In 2002, an op-ed in the New York Times claimed that 81% of Americans who were surveyed felt like they had a book in them, and that they should write it. Now, extrapolated across the entire population at that time, that 81% of Americans would equate to nearly 228 million people, feeling like they could, and perhaps should, write a book for themselves. Although the idea of an additional 228 million books in circulation might sound a bit overwhelming, wouldn't you agree that most people, if not everyone, has an entire book's worth of life lessons and stories and ideas that they could share with the world? I certainly do. But what is it like to actually write a book? To write your first book, and to become one of the few people of that pool of hundreds of millions who do put their ideas and beliefs and experiences on paper. Our guest today joins us on the precipice of publishing her first book to give us some candid insight about what's going on in her head and in her heart. Truth is, it's a lot scarier than you might think. From the New Story Company, this is The New Story Is, a podcast that explores the stories, perceptions, and ideas that have come to shape the world today as we know it. Along the way, we speak to talented guests who are championing the new stories that may shape our collective future for the good. I'm Dave Ursillo. Nikki Groom is a messaging expert and a business, branding, and marketing strategist. She's the host of the Movement Makers podcast and the founder of the 100 Stories Worth Telling project. Her book is called A Power of Your Own, How to Awaken Your Potential, Experiment with Purpose, and Do Work That Matters. She's also a personal friend and a former writing client of mine, which means that this conversation gives us some really interesting insight into the behind the scenes of what it really takes to write your first book. Our conversation was recorded in June, 2020. Nikki, let's start with an excerpt from your new book. Would you read it for us, please?
1: One lesson I've learned in life is that whenever we feel resentment seeping in, it's a sign. It signifies that we're feeling powerless have stopped communicating what we need because we're convinced it won't matter or won't make a difference, and are sacrificing what's most important to us for something that's more important to someone else. We feel resentful when we don't feel seen or heard or understood. We feel resentful when we say yes when we want to say no. We feel resentful when we stretch ourselves beyond our immediate capacity and give too much for too little. Resentment shows us our boundaries and reflects our worth. It's a good thing, a reminder and a message that something has to change. I've learned that if we don't listen to resentment, burnout is often right around the corner. Work begins to feel increasingly stressful and frustrating. We may grow cynical about the way that we're being asked to work or the people we're working with. As an entrepreneur, I found it easy to get burned out because you feel like saying no is bad for business. Not only are you thinking about the income you'll generate now, but the opportunities you might generate later. When I was working seven days a week in my business and saying yes to every client that came my way, because I thought that's what I had to do to make enough money and keep the referrals rolling in, I could feel the resentment bubbling up and roiling around in my chest. What made it worse is that whenever I would tell people how busy I was, they would always say, well, busy is a good thing. The problem is I don't think busy is a good thing. And yet it's part of our cultural conditioning to be busy, to hustle at all costs to sacrifice ourselves for the work that we do. But if we sacrifice our well-being along the way, what good are we to anyone? You can't experience true fulfillment if you're resentful, if you're burned out, if you're anxious, overwhelmed, stressed, or depressed. It's simply not possible.
0: Okay, and with that, Nikki Groom, welcome to The New Story Is. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Well, ordinarily, my first question to any guest author, such as yourself, Nikki, when they come on the podcast is to ask about the story of your book and how your book came to be your book, a power of your own. But in full candor for our listeners, I actually know a little bit more about your book um, than when I'm often interviewing an author, because Nikki, your book's story came about when we were actually working together. You were uh, a coaching client of mine in one of my, my coaching offerings called writer's group of two. And so, I have my own memories of like how your book started to formulate. And I know it's been a dream of yours since you were a little kid to become an author. What do you remember about your book's origin story while we were coaching together and maybe even taking me back before that around like how this book came to be as uh, something that you aspired towards for much longer than just the last year, year and a half.
1: Yeah. I mean, you were there pretty much from day one when this book was kind of a twinkle in my eye. Um, (laughs) But you're right. I mean, I had wanted to write a book since I was a little kid. I always loved writing stories when I was younger and I always just assumed, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be an author. I thought that life was that simple. And of course it's not. And so this, uh, yeah, two years ago, I decided, okay, I'm going to write a book. I've been talking about it for so long. I'd love to write a book one day. I'd love to write a book one day and not actually taking action. And so I decided, okay, finally, I'm going to write the first draft of my book by November. And then it was like, okay, what is this book even going to be about? I know it kind of sounds strange, but I definitely did back my way into it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been working for myself for a number of years and I knew that there was kind of truth in the work that I do that I wanted to share with people. I knew that there were different ways that I wanted to help other people, maybe not go through some, some of the stuff that I had gone through. Uh, but I I think that much of our early work together was kind of sifting through a lot of the limiting beliefs that had been holding me back, which, funnily enough, then became... A, uh, you know, one of the central focuses for the book itself. So mm. I think one of our sessions and I'll never forget it. I think you had titled it annoyingly Dharmic because <laughs> the very thing that I was struggling with was the very thing that I was trying to help my readers with. And I think that so much of life is like that, you know, we, we never kind of reach this point of perfection when it 's like, "Oh, I know all the things now, and I am an absolute expert, and I have it all together and now I can go and teach people what I know instead you right. have to be you have to be willing to be an imperfect teacher, which is so hard because it 's like well, who am I to to do this um, mm-hmm. but yeah i mean it's it has and, and just before we started recording here, I talked to you about the fact that it has really been a love hate journey for me because on the one hand i 'm finally writing the book that I've always wanted to write, uh, I'm kind of finally bringing that dream into being. And at the same time, I'm constantly like fighting against any of those self-limiting beliefs, those, uh, those stories that have kind of held me back for so long. And I'm trying to kind of fight those. <laughs> one, one of the things that you actually taught in and you teach in your Unavoidable Writing Workshop which I found so helpful is the very things that hold us back, or maybe uh, don't allow us to progress in the way that we w- we would like, are also the same things that make us great
0: at what we do. <laughs> so yeah.
1: you can speak to that with, uh, you know, in a in a much clearer way than I can. But um, yeah, it's if it sounds like it was messy. That's because it was messy, but right. <laughs> I'm going to be so, I mean, the book publishes 27th of July and I'm just going to be so grateful to finally hold that book in my hand and be like, you know what? I did it. <laughs> and,
0: yeah. and you know,
1: whoever, whoever this book can help them. Fantastic. I'm
0: yeah. We're recording next. this. Yeah. We're recording this interview uh, in late June. So we're actually still in the lead up to your book's publication. And so I know you're, you know, as anyone listening, can. Uh, understand you're still very much in the weeds of like getting the the final draft of the book together. I know you've been like furiously like editing and and rewriting and tweaking and shifting and working with beta readers, which is something that I always recommend my clients or just anyone who's writing a book, because that was one of my... Earliest mistakes in first publishing, uh, self-publishing my first book was that I neglected to do that. And it really showed in the final product. And it felt like a, a big regret. And I think I, I say that, Nikki, because I'm relating very personally to how you're describing the experience of your book, which is that it's not just sunshine and rainbows. And oftentimes, like you um, described the process of getting to know what your book was even going to be about many writers, any of whom, uh, you know, whether you're a listener and you are a part-time writer, you're a freelance writer, you are an aspiring author, you um, have just dabbled in journaling, or you have any sort of dream like the one that Nikki and I share to, to write books and to share stories with people, you probably understand that experience of like, I guess, putting the cart before the horse. And that's what I heard you describing, Nikki. And I know I've done it too. And the, in this case, that the cart before the horse would be, the goal is to write a book. And so we start, we say like, okay, I'm going to write a, start writing a book and I'll have the first draft by X date. And then you sit down to start the writing and you're like, wait, what is this book even going to be about? What do I want to write? And then as you start to write, the book starts to change and evolve as you start to write it, because the process is not, like you said, Nikki, always like, I don't think anybody sits down and writes a book and it's a defined thing before they start. That's the the goal, I think, or the expectation is here's my book idea and I'm going to write it. But just like anything, like a, a meaningful romantic relationship with a partner, like setting off on a, a hike on a trail uh, in the woods, we can have as formed an idea as we want before we begin a process that is creative. Um, but there's nothing there's nothing certain about it. So what I'm hearing you describe Nikki sounds like you have been learning and applying a sense of not only creative resilience but I guess emotional resilience in the journey of what this book is meant to be, what it means to you and how it comes together. How would you describe the like the emotional experience in other words, like the innerworldly experience of writing the book um, as you have been over the last couple of years? Like what, what, some, what are some of the lessons that have been coming to you?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I haven't really talked about writing the book in those terms before, i.e. deciding I wanted to write a book and then figuring out what it, what I wanted it to be about. Right. And I think, looking back that that has kind of been a trend for me in terms of other things that I've pushed myself to do. Uh, so when I think about starting my own business, the same thing, you know, for a few years, I was like, I'm going to start my own business. So I didn't quite know what it was going to look like. I certainly didn't have an MBA, didn't have any experience, and I've made myself do it anyway. And, you know, when I think about that in the context of the book, I think it's, it's, probably, it's like a coping mechanism. Um, you know, it, in terms of wherever perfectionism (laughs) raises its head, you know, I get myself into action, however imperfect. And so it's not all laid out in a really clear, coherent way. And that can be incredibly frustrating. So when you speak about the emotional experience, like it feels like this internal struggle constantly because it's like, come on, let's do this. Let's get the first draft written. And then there's this other part of me that's like, but it isn't going to be perfect. It's not going to be, you know, the best book of all time. It's not going to be a number one New York bestseller. Um, So it's been this constant struggle, I would say. Um, And I think that has been my journey. And I also, what I'm realizing is that that is so many... Other people's journeys as well, in terms of the fact that they know what they want to do, and they maybe don't know every single step that's going to get them there. But they know that it's important that they get into action because if they sit there and wait for perfection, it's just never going to arrive on their laps.
0: Mm. Yeah, let's let's talk a, a bit about the book, and that makes for a good segue because you talk you just said about um, taking the steps to to make it happen and. In the excerpt that you shared with us, Nikki, you said, this is a quote, resentment shows us our boundaries and reflects our worth. It's a good thing, a reminder that something has to change. What strikes me about that idea as I heard you read it for us was um, that the idea of resentment being a beneficial feeling seems to also say to me, don't be afraid of learning curves or making mistakes or missteps or not knowing where you're going. It's that idea, you know, that something resentment, which we would ordinarily avoid or not want to feel ever, can be beneficial, can show us where our boundaries are, can reflect our sense of self-worth. That to me kind of feels like an affirmation of even if you don't know where it's going, you can start, you can find your way. And it sounds like, you have found that to be true with not only writing your book but starting your business. Have you have you always found that to be the case? Where maybe starting before you know where it's going can help you find your way in a way that you might not have like imagined beforehand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I've actually surprised. I mean, I'm I'm a Brit, so we are stereotypically very cynical and um, <laughs> you know down on ourselves and what have you. I, um, I've surprised myself in realizing I'm actually an optimist. <laughs> and so that means that whenever something, and I think I learned this from, you know, from my teenage years, but whenever something feels like a challenge or whenever something presents itself as a problem or an issue, um, whenever there's kind of ickiness or negative emotions coming up, like resentment, there's always something on the flip side of that. So there's always an opportunity. There's always, okay, so if I'm feeling resentful, that means I have to change something. So thank goodness I'm feeling this way. Otherwise I wouldn't have known that something needed to change. So I think I'm always kind of trying to, you know, look something squarely in the face and at the same time, look for the possibilities, look for the potential, um, it's kind of this, this dance. And it reminds me of something a friend of mine said, that nothing is, there's no time in our lives when something is all good or all bad. Like it's always going to be a mix of the two. And so I think in order to move forward so often, we need to kind of find that hopeful place, you know, find that, find that faith, (laughs) find that optimism. And that's, Mm. that's how we'll move forward.
0: Is that what you, do you find yourself doing that when you're working with clients? And I, I imagine a lot of your client work as a brand strategist over the years is what is is what, is what you're sharing in your book. Would you say that that idea is what you are imparting, you know, like teaching your clients and helping your clients with as a brand strategist and also what you're hoping to share in the book?
1: 100%. Yeah. So, I run a mastermind called the Movement Makers Mastermind and every single week we meet and those masterminders share their challenges and each time we take that challenge and we turn it into an opportunity. So it's actually a good thing if they're struggling with something in particular because as a group we always find a way for them to uh, work their way through that challenge. And in a similar way, I mean, we, we are obviously in an unprecedented time in terms of COVID and everything else that's happening. And right around mid-March, when everything began shutting down and kind of the whole world was like, whoa, what's happening? I remember a, a client of mine who I help her with her her branding and her marketing strategy um, and execution, actually. I remember her speaking to her and her expressing her fears about showing up Online in any way at all. She kind of just wanted to shut down all of her marketing and, you know, stop showing up on social media. And I remember just having this really real conversation with her about the fact that people look up to you. They see you as a thought leader. They respect what you have to say. They know that it's always coming from, you know, a, a, a heartfelt place. And I, feel like they need to hear from you now more than ever before. And so there was this incredible unprecedented challenge that she was facing and we were able to turn that into an opportunity. And so she began hosting weekly community calls. Uh, she's in the diversity and inclusion space. So holding calls for for people who either are champions of DEI or um, are directly involved in those roles in their companies and that community has grown into the thousands. She has hundreds of people join her every single week on the calls. They have, uh, there have been some incredible conversations um, that have been had, so many business opportunities that have emerged, which wasn't necessarily the initial motivation. It was more just to kind of stay connected to people um, and not to, not, to, not to be quiet at, at a time that was and is so difficult for so many people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, talk about a challenge and, and trying to find the light. Um, and, mm. you know, a lot of people have said, oh, these community calls are the, the highlight of my week and they give me hope. And so often community can do that for us. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, so it definitely plays out in the work that I do for sure.
0: Yeah. I, community has been something that's been on my mind, like, I mean, forever, but also lately, Nikki. Um, just in my own you know, personal and professional life in the last few weeks, and I, I am sure this is also an extension of our my experience and our, quote unquote, our experiences with the pandemic and everything, but I feel really disconnected from a sense of community. And that also extends to working for myself for 11 years now. And just kind of, you know, while I really am grateful for the work that I do and I really enjoy it, I've realized that I have been... I try to fill every little, like every void or feeling of lack that I have in my life, like a sense of community. I try to like fill it with my work. And I realize that that's not always the best thing. Um, But with regard to community itself and the importance of community, I, I know in, I think I believe it's in chapter eight of your book, which is entitled, Don't Be Afraid to Ask for Help. You talk a little bit and cite uh, you know a number of experiences from some of the people you 've interviewed different um, women in business and business owners and coaches around the idea that self love is not something that can flourish in isolation that it actually is a an emotional quality that gets cultivated in community or in relationship to others. Have you found that to be true in your journey, and what have you what did you discover in asking people and, and working with clients around like their cultivation of self-love, which, you know, almost implies that it's something that you only do on your own. Like, how how does self-love actually expand and generate in relationship to others rather than in isolation?
1: Yeah, I think there's something so beautiful that happens when we surround ourselves with like-minded people who hold the same values, dear, who uh, can really help us see it, they reflect back to us the possibilities for our lives, and that is an incredible thing because so often we just can 't see them for ourselves, particularly because oftentimes we 're kind of mired in all these these kind of icky feelings and emotions and um, you know we we have the benefit of all our life experiences, and at the same time, like we can't necessarily piece all those together in a way that makes sense and that helps us understand you know, who we are, what we're supposed to be doing. You know, sometimes it's so hard to see that for ourselves. And, you know, when I started my own business, I remember thinking, I don't think that we both live in Rhode Island. And I remember thinking, you know, it's such a tiny state. I can't imagine that there are many other people like me who are doing similar work in the world. But I made it my mission, I guess, again, looking at the challenge in its face and thinking, you know what, I'm going to make it my mission to find more people like me. And now, you know, I have this incredible local network. I have this incredible online network of people who, you know, I can turn to for various things, but what has been the most valuable thing has been the conversations that I've had and hearing that whatever I've been going through or whatever I've been up against, either they're going through it too, or they've been through it and they can kind of give me some advice around it. But, you know, there's, there's three essential lessons that I talk about in the book. And one of them is if you've, ever felt less than, it's not your fault. You know, number two, you don't have to have everything figured out to live a life on purpose. And you most certainly do not have to be a perfect human being. And number three, you are not alone in how you feel. And you don't have to fig- figure out any part of this on your own. And I think, you know, for a long time I thought that the self-love piece was just work that I had to do by myself. And I was on my own. Mm. And it didn't matter what the rest of the world said. I just I just had to get that right. And and don't get me wrong, that's an ongoing practice, but I also realize it's incredibly important who we surround ourselves with. Because, like you, like you said, and that's a, a beautiful quote from Stacey Jordan Shelton. Um, self-love does not flourish in isolation. And we do need those right people around us to remind us what's possible to reflect back to us the our potential and um yeah, to kind of hold us accountable and encourage us forward on those tentative next steps, especially when we're doing something that really matters to us. I mean, mm. I'm sure that you have experienced this as well, Dave, and I say that because I I know from talking to lots of different people that we all experience this to some extent, but oftentimes when we're doing work that really matters to us, that's when our fears emerge. And they often emerge in terms of those kind of below-the-surface doubts that eat away at us and, and cause us to question, second-guess ourselves and question what we're doing, um, So yes, it's really useful to have other people around who who can say, hey, you are on the right track. Keep going. You've got this. Don't worry. (laughs) We've got you. Um, Yeah, it's just been invaluable for me. And I I just don't think that we can get where we want to go without surrounding us with some awesome people who can kind of be there for us and encourage us and and give us what we need when we need it
0: you said, look challenge in its face. And I'm wondering about how you experienced challenges of your own, maybe in business, but otherwise just in life in general. Uh, In particular, growing up in England, I know you immigrated to the US um, in, I believe it was in your 20s, correct me if I'm wrong. What kinds of could you tell me th- about an experience in which you had had to or maybe were forced to look a challenge in its face and try to find an opportunity through that, especially uh, as a woman in business? I know that's something that you are always talking about and, and really trying to advocate and supporting women, especially in business. Has there been a particular challenge in business that you can remember and share with us where you had to look at something which maybe victimized you, maybe put you in the role of like, some uh, of a position you didn't deserve to be in and had to try to not so much find a silver lining, but like transcend it or, or challenge it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I think back to my experience of being a teenager, I was incredibly shy. And so, you know, I, I loved to write and I, you know, it's, I'd studied pretty hard and, you know, I had a small group of friends, but it was, hard for me to push myself out of my comfort zone, even if it was something small. But what I discovered is if I did that, if I pushed myself out of my comfort zone, oftentimes on the other side of that fear, that trepidation, there were, there were good things. So when I, I was 22 years old, I was looking for a job, I was fresh out of university. And I remember a friend of mine said, hey, you know, this company is looking for a marketing manager and I think you'd be a great fit. So I pitched myself for the job, bearing in mind I had a degree in English and (laughs) I didn't have any marketing experience, but I pitched myself. Admittedly, the the salary was crazy low. Um, And yeah, I kind of threw myself in at the deep end and I looked that challenge in the face. I was like, right, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to learn everything that I possibly can about marketing. And long story short, I took, uh, over the next five years, I took the marketing to a point where I'd never been before. It would, you know, I remember my boss take, taking me to one side and saying, it's, it's better than it's ever been. And thank you so much. And it just really felt like a validating experience to have that reflected back to me, going back to that idea of other people kind of letting us know what's what, um, I ended up coming to America, similar, <laughs> a similar thing. I was looking for a new challenge, um, in terms of I wanted to stretch myself because I just, I think I just recognize that that's where the growth happens. That's where we become our best and highest selves is when we're stretching and we're growing. And so this opportunity came up for me to move to America. And my first thought, I tell this story in the book, was like, don't be stupid. You can't move to America. But I literally had this physical reaction. My heart skipped a beat. My stomach turned over. And I was like, I think that's exactly what I have to do. And I was only going to come for a year. And I ended up staying for longer um, the same thing happened when I started my own business. So, you know, I had these initial doubts, like, I, you know, I don't think I can do it, but I, it's, it kind of goes back to that theme of noticing that I want something that my, my initial gut core desire is this is what I want. And then almost immediately having that squashed by these stories, these beliefs that, by the way, um, you know, the, the reason why one of my three essential lessons in the book is if you've ever felt less than it's not your fault. It's because for a long time, I thought that was like coming from me, but it's not, it's coming from a society. It's coming from a world that is constantly telling us that we're less than. So, you know, this, this initial core realization of, ah, this is what I want. And then, Immediately noticing that that was, you know, there was a part of me or there was a voice in my head that was trying to squash that and making the decision to ignore that voice and move forward anyway. Um, You know, a friend of mine, Greg Faxon, talks a lot about our relationship with fear. And I think oftentimes we think we have to kind of like suppress fear and not listen to it. And he actually advocates listening to it with compassion. Okay, fear, what are you what are you worried about? What do you want me to look at? What do you want me to acknowledge so that so that we can both move forward together? I know that sounds a little woo-woo, but um it's been incredibly effective. So mm. it's I would say that there's not necessarily one example of that, but multiple examples. Those are some of the bigger ones, you know, moving to the states, starting my own business. Um, and then ongoing. Writing this book has been huge for me in terms of overcoming that. Uh when I was when I first moved to the States, I'd been in the States for maybe a couple years. And at the time, I was doing a lot of Mai Thai kickboxing. And I decided that I was going to make myself get in the ring and have a proper fight. I mean, we would always do kind of sparring practice. And oftentimes, I'd find myself sparring with guys that were like over six foot and way bigger than me. So like even that, I guess, was a, I was pushing myself out of my comfort zone. But I decided to get in the ring. And I think I had six weeks to prepare it was the most terrifying thing that I've ever done. Like, totally surpasses moving to America without knowing a soul over here. Totally surpasses starting my own business without having any business experience. Totally surpasses writing a book um, when, there's so, when I've been putting so much pressure on myself to get it just right. But I did it. And I was like, you know, I just want to have one fight. So I always, I always joke I'm like, one and oh, and retired. That's that. But it, it's something incredible happens when we push ourselves in that way because. We by taking action, we realize what we're capable of. And so that is something that has just been super valuable for me.
0: So Nikki, we're about a month or so away from your book being released. I know there's there's plenty more work to do. By the time that uh, our listeners hear this, the book should be available. Um, What are your hopes for what comes next? Obviously, there's still a lot of Question marks around things that you might ordinarily do as a as a new author, as a first time author, like author readings and getting people together and having a book launch party. A lot of those social gatherings and events are, are probably still going to be off the table for the time being. So I'm curious about on two levels: one, with regard to like the book itself, what's next for you and the book from here, and two, how are you seeing the you know the rest of your your year pan out as a new first time author.
1: Yeah, well, I'm really excited because, as you had mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of right in the thick of things right now in terms of getting this book finished. Um, excuse the noise outside. I can, no, uh, all you all. might want to cut that, up, that bit up. Um, it's all yeah, so good. I'm, super, I'm super excited about the fact that I now get to turn my full attention to the marketing of this book uh, because I have been so in the weeds with uh, editing and copy editing and proofreading and so on and so forth. So that's exciting for me because I'm, you know, I've been in marketing for many, many years. It's the thing that I love to do. And honestly, I do it so much for other people that it would be really nice to give myself permission to do it for myself. Um, And I think, you know, it's interesting because I've worked for myself from home for so many years. I'm really used to networking, to speaking, to marketing myself online. Like that's, something that just you know it, it's not it doesn't feel like a challenge to me so when it comes to you know I actually prefer this I prefer this kind of format you know you do, we don't have to look at our uh, videos in the corner and be put off like we're just we're just chatting we're having an audio conversation I did I'm wow. wearing like shorts and t-shirt I didn't have to dress up for it so I think I'm just looking forward to um reconnecting with some incredible organizations and individuals and groups and saying, hey, like I've got this book and I've developed this training around it and I would love to speak to your people. Do you think it's a good fit? And just kind of putting myself out there, I found that asking for what you want is often another challenge that can come up. But so often, you know, I think about my podcast and all the incredible guests that I've had on my podcast. And each time I ask the question, hey, like I have this podcast, I think it'd be great. Would you be interested? And almost overwhelmingly the answer has been yes. The same thing with my mastermind and the guest trainers. I've had some incredible guest trainers on. So um, with my book, I will be adopting that same tactic. (laughs) I will be asking all the people who I think would be really aligned with what the book's all about and um, just trying to get myself out there as much as possible. Um, But this book, I think, felt really important as well because it feels core to to my, to my work and how I want to show up in future and how I want to help people in different ways. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited. And if I, <laughs> I can never quite tell, but if I sound a bit what, what, it's just because I am literally in the midst of all of the book <laughs> stuff. Um, hopefully I don't sound that way, but, uh, yeah, just no, so excited all, to, 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 to get to the other side, to have the book in my hand, to, to be able to talk to people about it and share it. And, one of my favorite bookstores is right across the street from me and I'm really excited about seeing my book on, on the bookshelf. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. Excited about that, all the
0: things. Absolutely. You're, you're in that final stretch, you know, you're in that final stretch of like oh, during the pandemic, I started taking up uh, distance running again, not much distance, like two to three miles, but that's a lot for me as a non-runner. And, um, I kind of relate where you are in your creative, journey of this book right now, Nikki, to being like the final stretch, like that file, final like half mile of the run when you are tired and you just want to hit the finish line. And this is like, this is the hardest part. This is where the, the resilience comes in and you, you, while instinctively, I know for me, I'm speaking for myself here. I know, you know, whether I'm running or I was finishing a creative project, I just want to get to the finish line and I just want it to be done. All that to say, I have all the confidence in the world. I can't wait to see your book come to life and to see how it shakes out from here. And you certainly deserve to, to hit that finish line, to feel really good about it. Uh, and I really thank you for joining us while you're in the process of bringing this book to life and giving us an, uh, you know, behind the scenes look of what it's like to be in that final stretch and also for for sharing about the work that you're doing in the world
1: thank you so much dave yeah i uh thank you for adding that piece on everything that's happening right now i think it's so important to talk about and uh you know it it means so much to me because you are involved in the process of writing this book that you are the first podcast that i've appeared on to talk about it um it has been quite the journey and I appreciate you so much for helping me through some of those really difficult early stages when I was doubting myself so much. So thank you so much. And hopefully this book will uh, help other people realize what they're capable of too.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nikki. And we'll look forward to having you on the podcast again at some point down the line for your second books and third books and fourth books. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The New Story Is. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. You can always find us at thenewstory.is, including our full back catalog of interviews from throughout the year. Leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It goes a long way in helping us find and share our work with new listeners. Until soon, dear listener, keep storying on. We'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. This episode is brought to you by Writing the Personal, a writing class on the genre of personal narrative essay writing, hosted by me, Dave Ursillo. Are you ready to write the stories from your life that you've always wanted to share? Well, whether you're a busy professional, a parent, or an aspiring writer, this four-week live guided creative experience is perfect for you. Over four weeks, you'll learn how to write meaningful personal essays in ways that honor you and resonate with readers. You'll get tips, tools, and techniques to help you get unstuck with your writing, develop your story ideas, and feel comfortable knowing if and when your stories are really ready to be shared. By the end of the course, you'll even have written a first draft of your own personal narrative essay. The next class begins February 23, 2023. Spaces are limited. Visit DaveUrsillo.com WTP for more. That's Dave, U-R-S-I-L-L-O dot com slash W-T-P.